So, okay. Tell me about the dog that you're going to get after this. He's, um, we found, we saw him through the bulldog rescue. Okay. We, and then we went to one of their events at Half Step on Rainy last weekend. Okay. And we did, we did a phone interview and a house visit. You did a phone interview with the dog? With the rescue. And you were like, hey. Yeah. Hey, man. Hey, you want to come hang with us? And he was like, (laughs) (laughs) and you were like, oh, that's yes. Yeah. (laughs) That sounds good. So um, his name's Napoleon Dynamite. No, really? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, How old is he? I think he's two. Okay. But um, we'll see. I wanted a girl dog, but my husband, like, saw Napoleon and was like, oh, I love you. Yeah. Like, he talks about him. I'm sure he's talking about him right this second. Like, he won't stop talking about him. He's like, okay, well. Well, that's kind of cute. I set it up with the rescue to um, have him come stay with us for two weeks. Okay. Two week trial, and mm-hmm. then there's a, a post interview, and you'll be like Napoleon Dynamite. Will Which, you take this family right, to, to be, be your forever home? Yeah, and then he'll be like, <laughs> uh-huh. probably. Which means yes, yeah, because you know they've got like those wrinkly face. He's got old man face. You showed me the picture. Yeah, he looks like a little. I thought he was an elderly dog no. because no, he's a pupper's. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm trying to show some interest knowing full well that I feel the same way about animals as I do about children. Mm. I'm glad they're in the world. Mm -hmm. I see the importance of them and the necessity of them. And if anyone (coughs) were to mistreat them, I would end that person. But I don't want them in my home either. So So I'm so glad there are people like you who will... Make the sacrifices. We'll probably have more than one dog this time around. Good for you. Just playing the odds. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's wise. the record button (laughs) you know like after maybe our 20th record i will have this system down awesome but currently (laughs) i do not okay but before we start i want to read our comments okay we have comments yay i know um i can't can't kind of believe it but um while she's doing that i'm just gonna welcome everyone to (laughs) breast cancer is boring with jocelyn and lauren today we have a really awesome episode and we're really excited to share this with you we're going to talk about mastectomy and what that means for each of us and how our experiences were different and we really want to share those differences and options and things like that with everybody and kind of like the phases that you go through um pre and post surgical encounters but jocelyn has some awesome comments that she gets to read we're really excited about that look at our comments (laughs) which i didn't know we had uh my my other friend lauren who i work with Uh she told me she was like did you see your comments and i was like 
no, how do I do that? (laughs) I saw one of them and I did notice that it said that there were others, but my amazing phone and I think I was running out of battery life too. And I was like, okay, I'm going to have to check that later. Exactly. So you're looking at, okay, so this is from, this is on Apple podcasts Okay. and there's two and, um, one I have actually read and one I haven't. So the first one is from, I don't know how you, I say this like screen name, but it's Epotigri, Epitogri, Epotiger. Epotiger, <laughs> I like that one a lot. Mm-hmm. Anyway, this fantastic person says, this is my favorite breast cancer podcast. Mine too. <laughs> and I feel like I've listened to them all in a post-diagnosis fury. Can relate. Tons of great personal info without being as dry as the medical podcast stays on topic better than some of the other survivor-run pods. We're a survivor-run pod. I didn't know that. Boom. Before you guys told us that. It's awesome. Um, It's like having friends who have been there help prep you for this journey. Thanks, you guys. You are welcome. Big time. Big time. And if there's anything you want from us on this show, you just comment away mm-hmm. i hear what i'm hearing is stay on topic keep yes. it real and yeah. that's what we're gonna do today absolutely as we talk about mastectomies, mastectomies. um the second one and i'm reading this just dry because i haven't seen it before because i again i'm not good at this is from degradia 19 is how i'm gonna say that and they say i was diagnosed with breast cancer last month And this podcast has given me such insight about the raw reality about my upcoming battle. It's the one thing that makes me laugh and cry at the same time. Thank you, girls, for putting yourself out there and sharing your stories. I'd love to hear more about timelines of chemo, radiation treatment, and reconstruction. You got, girl, we got you. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you, you're going to get, well, okay, by the time we put this podcast out, you will have a radiation episode and you will have a chemo episode. And that chemo episode includes a chemo-certified practicing nurse who knows a lot about chemo. And then this one is about mastectomies, which mm-hmm. we'll touch on reconstruction a little bit. And then I'm having my reconstruction surgery in about three weeks. Yeah, I know. I'm, I'm excited. So, I'm and excited then for you, too. Terrified. Totally. Absolutely, viscerally, uh, palm-sweating, terrified, for sure. Um. But thank you both, you beautiful, beautiful people, for commenting and for letting us know what you like. And whether it's weird because you do this thing and you put it out there and then you get a comment and you're like, holy shit, people are listening to this. This is awesome. Right. I remember texting you and I was like, we have a comment. We have a comment. And then you were like, oh, God, why am I scared? (laughs) Like, (laughs) Like it just makes it real. Anyway, when I have my reconstruction, I am going to try and do like a um, post-op podcast like diary series. Very cool. As I recover from my apartment um, so that I can capture some of the thoughts and reactions and pain and expectations and reality in real time. Very cool. Um, So coming up, coming to a podcast near you. Yeah. And I'll just reach into my reconstruction pocket and pull out my experience from that oh and you've got some for i sure i feel like for sure so back to mastectomy mastectomy which is the subject of the day just to level set 
our relationship with our boobs as women is highly variable, especially as adult women in their 30s. -hmm. And I'm coming from a perspective of never having kids and really never having boobs. What I I have always had, I always characterized as tits. So tits are like A cup, maybe B. Well, I had both. So my left was an A cup and my right is a B cup. Just like a little bit uneven. I think that's normal. Right? Mm-hmm. Were your breasts like exactly the same size? Yes, but... I, Girl. <laughs> I know other people, plenty of other people mm-hmm. that said that, you know, they were different sizes. I think that people harp on that a little bit too much than necessary. I mean, there's plenty of things on our bodies that are not totally symmetrical. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it never... Because my look was never very like breast forward... It never really, it never really, you know, affected me much. But tits are like those, tits are small in nature and kind of lifted. They don't have, they don't really fall too much. Because there's no, there's no weight to them. There's no fold underneath your breast because there's not enough breast tissue like to create that look. So itty bitty titties is basically what I had. And I could wear any bra I wanted. It wasn't a big deal. Again, my looks were very like, ass and waist because I have a a tiny waist and then I've got hips and an ass childbearing hips some might may say but (laughs) funny that I don't know if there's that's an actual thing but childbearing hips yeah I don't I don't think so I don't either I think that's like a leftover from like the 1950s where they thought the size of your hips was a compliment yeah that's true yeah um I I understand a, uh, from a very different perspective. Of course, in my 20s, um, my breasts were a very different relationship. But as I had children, I mean, I basically looked at breasts as baby feeders. Mm. So, um, but I, you know, I, I feel like I had a very average, I have a small body frame and I had somewhere between a, a B and a C cup normal like breast size but I wasn't really I'm I'm a little bit more of a conservative dresser so I think that um even in well I would say maybe not so much in my 20s but as I got older they weren't really like a highlight for me of uh my my persona I guess you could say I see like out, in terms of putting together an outfit, were you like very, like my breasts will be the focal point of this look, like in a classy way, or were they never really the focal point of anything? Not really. Okay. Not really. But I still liked them and I felt like, you know, they fit my body proportionately and um, I didn't really have any issues as far as my you know, self-confidence went with that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was never really a thing. Mm. I remember in high school in like early 20s, you know, when you're really having to, uh, you're really feeling at odds with your body and wishing you had other things that you don't have. And I remember other girls making, you know how you kind of make fun of each other to kind of test the waters of what's, you know, like half joking, half not joking, but the things that, my friends or 
female acquaintances would say like small boobs was one thing that I would get teased about and then being so so damn white just so <laughs> pale in a in, in a sea of white people because okay. I grew up in a whitey white town with just hardly any diversity which that's, that's unfortunate a, yeah super unfortunate and glad to be out of that situation and glad to have my mind expanded a little bit totally thank god yeah um but I always knew like I had small breasts and then I would kind of play around with that a little bit with looks that I would do like in my once I got into my 30s like I was very comfortable with my body and I was I mean I I was happy with it and I could wear very like deep V things without any bra you like deep V bodysuit tops and because because my breasts were so small it was never like overtly sexual or anything and that was that was a great look for me I could wear like I could have like a lot of chest basically showing but because my breasts were so small it wasn't like inappropriate or gotcha. I was comfortable with it and it, whereas when I would see that same bodysuit on the model there was like a lot more boob action in it <laughs> but I could wear it and like you're just not gonna you're not gonna get that so and then I got breast cancer in my bigger boob and that was sad you know um I had a question for you and I think that our relationship with our breasts is sort of um, not something a lot of people really think about, I, I don't think. Um, and then I I really feel that once you have a breast cancer diagnosis, the feeling, at least for me, was um, all I could think about was what do I need to get the cancer out? It wasn't really mm-hmm. like about breast preservation or devastation that I was going to lose my breasts. I, I really just felt the overwhelming desire to get the cancer out. I just thought, oh my gosh, whatever I have to do. I don't care. I don't need these things. Like I was done having babies. I breastfed both my kids and uh, you know, I, okay, we're done. So let's, let's just get a move on and get this going. Like for me, it wasn't like an overwhelming feeling of devastation, but I could see, you know, maybe if that's something that, you know, part of your signature look and that's something that, you know, you really felt like was one of your great attributes that you, that could also be very devastating and, and it's okay to get upset about that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. You're about to go through a very, big change, whether it's really, really visible from the outside or not. It's a big change just, you know, of who you are and, you know, things that you have to go through. Yeah. I think your, um, uh, not your fight or flight, but maybe, I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe that mechanism kicks in. Breast cancer is so much more and so much bigger than your breasts like Mm -hmm. the things that is not you're right that's not the first thing you think about Mm -mm. when you hear breast cancer you don't hear the breast part all you hear is cancer right and I remember meeting with my general surgeon to talk before I started chemo because your general surgeon is the one that puts your port in Mm -hmm. most of the time 
mm-hmm. and will be the person who does your mastectomy or lumpectomy, whatever you are a candidate for. And I remember just being like, take them both, like eliminate all breast tissue in my body. Mm-hmm. Like I don't care. And it, it wasn't, there was, I had no anxiety about losing my breasts Agreed. and I wasn't even thinking about reconstruction. I was just, I was really just thinking about chemo and how hard that was going to be. Gotcha. And I think for a lot of women, I imagine that has to be the case. I think that, um, I mean, my case was a little different because I thought surgery was going to remove cancer and I wouldn't need to go through chemo. So I, my first thought was the same as yours. Take them both. I don't really need them anymore. Mm -hmm. And my diagnosis, I had just a lot of my breast tissue had cancer in it. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, it was only on one side, but the amount of breast tissue that had cancer, all I could think of was like, it's just like a ticking time bomb on the other side. So Mm -hmm. what's the point of, you know, removing one and leaving the other for me to just end up with cancer in the other one, just based on my thinking that, um, the amount of breast cancer I had in my right breast was, I would say almost a quarter of my breast tissue had cancer. So, um, that was my general thinking. Yeah. So I was perfectly, and I was the same. I didn't even think about reconstruction. I, um, wasn't concerned about that at that point. Right. What did you, so how did you choose your general surgeon? So I work in a hospital and I, I have a really good friend of mine who works in our surgical area and I talked to her and I just asked her if you had to have a physician, you know, do a mastectomy, which physician would you pick? And I mean, she didn't bat an eye and quickly answered and then was like, why? (laughs) Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, I, that's how I picked my physician, really reputable surgeon. Mm -hmm. Um, it does not hurt to get more than one opinion. I think that that's really important that you do want a surgeon that you feel like you mesh with. Like when they talk to you, you feel like you are comfortable asking questions and that they've explained things in ways that you can understand them. Yeah. And I think um, for the general public, that's really important. So I would say, I mean, I already knew this physician because of the hospital that I work in. So I was, that was a very easy decision for me. But for those people who don't work in that kind of field and also don't really have experience, um, I think it is really good to ask for several opinions and make appointments with physicians and just, um, you know, have those initial conversations and, um, they may have different courses of action. They may all be the same mm-hmm. based on your diagnosis, you know, and you really just have to go with what your gut tells you. It's yeah, that's good advice. Go with your gut. I also work in a hospital, but I did not have my surgery at the hospital where I work. So for most people, insurance is going to determine at least what hospital you right. have to have surgeries at. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you can see what physicians practice in that hospital that are also covered by your insurance. Right. I remember 
Because as much as I had a lot of resources in oncology, again, breast cancer was not something we primarily dealt with at our site. So I remember meeting with my oncologist and I asked my oncologist, who do you work, what surgeons would you recommend? Mm -hmm. Who do you, and a few questions to ask are, who do you notice has the best outcomes Mm -hmm. from their surgeries? Who has the lowest infection rate that you've seen? What is the surgeon who you just know, you know, none of their patients have complications Mm -hmm. and go with that. There's also ways to look up individual surgeons online, mm-hmm. like rate rate your physician, yeah. I think is one or something like that. And, and understand that these are like Yelp for doctors. Right. So be very discerning, mm-hmm. take the overall picture, but then be very discerning when you dive into comments because some things are out of a physician's control. Right. And so another good thing to do if you have a choice of hospitals is to look up the hospital. Mm-hmm. And there is one reputable site that we use in hospitals. And it, we it's like the site that we strive to get a good rating on. Well, there's actually two. There's the CMS, which is the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services, the CMS star rating. Mm-hmm. But that star rating is more like mm, paid for performance. So how do patients feel right. about their stay? Mm-hmm. Did they feel, you know, and it's questions from how was the food to how well was your pain managed to um, did you feel like the doctors communicated well to you in this hospital? Yeah, or but, you can look in the serious infection rate. Yes, you can look there too. So mm-hmm. the the other website that's publicly available and kind of aggregates information from CMS mm-hmm. and uh, information from self-reporting from individual hospitals is called LeapFrog, which LeapFrog is also a brand of like children's toys and learning uh, <laughs> resources. So it's not that LeapFrog, mm-hmm. but it's LeapFrog Group. And it should be, I think it's a .org. Um, anyway, they rate hospitals A yeah. through F. Uh-huh. And that is based on a lot of different things. But the thing about LeapFrog is you it's very visually formatted, the website. Mm-hmm. So you can look up an individual hospital and you can look at their sepsis rate, which right. sepsis is serious illness um, from infection, basically. Right. So, um, they break it down into different kinds of surgeries that they perform. Right, hospital-acquired yes. infection. Yes, all of mm-hmm. those things. All the way through to um, how safety practices. Like, mm-hmm. does this hospital use barcode scanning mm-hmm. when they deliver medications to you? Which is a huge... Medication administration errors are a huge... Well, they used to be a huge cause of death and complication in hospitals. And then since the introduction of barcode scanning, that has gone way, way down. Mm-hmm. And if you live in a, in a metro area like we do... Your hospitals are all going to be using that, but if you live in rural East Texas and you're trying to decide on a hospital, that may make the difference. So an A rating on LeapFrog is like very safe, good outcomes. So patients go there and there are very few, um, there are a lot of very high standards for their safety practices and there are very few infections, if any, and all the way down to a rating of F, which is do not get care at this hospital the hospital I went to is a b rating and that is fine because there is a lot of also um the bar is set real damn high right and you need to look at the area like level one trauma centers Mm -hmm. will usually be a b b 
because of the patient population that comes in are just more predisposed to infection and comorbidities that um, lead to complications. But you can click into each of these hospitals and see every individual rating. And it's like, it's shown as a meter. Green is they're, they're exceeding their metric. Um, yellow, I think, is they're moving towards excellence in this area. And red is they're basically failing in this area. Mm-hmm. So look up your hospital because those nurses and the people who run those ORs are just as important to your care Mm -hmm. as the physician performing the surgery. Absolutely. Especially in recovery. That's super. Especially in recovery. It's so funny because I feel like most people don't remember recovery because you're coming off of some probably serious anesthesia, but they are vital part of Mm -hmm. um, the OR staff. I think it's really important to, once you're diagnosed, to sort of have that kind of discussion with your doctor at that point and what they recommend for you. Now, that's always not always necessarily what you have to go with, but just a suggestion. Yeah. If your oncologist is someone you trust, Mm -hmm. they know who's good Mm -hmm. and they're going to work with with physicians and surgeons that are good. And I, I picked my general surgeon because once during my appointment with my oncologist, like maybe the second appointment, that surgeon called my oncologist during our appointment and my oncologist wasn't going to pick it up. And I was like, no, 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 take the call. Like it's cause I could see it was, it's came across as like doctor so-and-so or whatever. I was like, no, 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 take the call. Like that could be important. And I've got all day. So he took the call and I could tell in their relationship that they had a good working relationship together. And I don't think as a provider who's committed to excellence that you build those tight relationships with people who just don't care about excellence in their jobs. I think people like people find each other. Mm -hmm. So that being said, you're going to need a general surgeon in that mastectomy and your plastic surgeon should also be in that mastectomy. Yes, absolutely. Did you have both your surgeons? Okay. I did. So you're going to have to think about reconstruction before your mastectomy Mm -hmm. and that mastectomy, you may have time to think about that. I had a lot of time because we were trying to shrink my tumor to see if a lumpectomy was possible. Um, and at first, my tumor, because I just had one isolated, basically, tumor in my breast tissue. And so there was a small possibility that we could do just a lumpectomy, although I never really believed that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and it shrunk really well at first, and then it just stopped shrinking, and it, and it stayed relatively large. And because my breasts are relatively small, it was like half my breast. So right. <laughs> they were like, we can do a lumpectomy, but you're going to be left with aesthetically um, a, a difficult, basically a janky looking boob. Right. (laughs) And that is not what I wanted out of this. Mm -hmm. So I chose to have the mastectomy and I chose to have it just on one side. And this is something that's so personal. There has been the way that my oncologist kind of explained it to me and the things that I found when I kind of looked this up because I have access to all this literature through my job and I have been in a master's program for nursing since I got diagnosed. I started that like weeks before I got diagnosed. So I've just been doing that this whole time, but I have access to all these online libraries that sometimes you only have access to when you are a student in medicine and looking up all this 
literature, the, the prophylactic mastectomy or the mastectomy on the contralateral side of your diagnosis in, in women who have no genetic markers. So if you're BRAC1, BRAC2, you need to take both breasts. That, that, that I, I don't think anyone would recommend anything differently. Um, but if there's no genetic markers, there is no definitive literature out there and I mean like studies, I mean just purely scientific studies to show that there is a benefit in taking the unaffected breast tissue out. That being said, bilateral mastectomies have been on the rise for the last 10 years running. Mm-hmm. And that has been chalked up to basically that anxiety that women feel Mm -hmm. that I'm just leaving this massive breast tissue that didn't really work out for me very well on this other side. And if I leave breast tissue, then won't I have an increased risk of getting breast cancer on the other side. And even though there's no definitive evidence so far to show that many, many times women choose to do both. Mm -hmm. And the thing about it is, is science can only take you so far. If you just do like, I, I was, I am comfortable with just doing a mastectomy one side and leaving this other one to chance or to science or whatever, or to statistics, but really statistics didn't work out very well for me on this side. So I don't know. And if you, you take a woman who does just one side but then every day of her life, she's going to feel anxious about leaving this breast tissue on the other side. Science is not going to help reduce that anxiety, reduce that fear. And then we start getting into questions of quality of life. Mm-hmm. So listen to your oncologist and your surgeon. They're probably going to tell you that the contralateral mastectomy and the unaffected side shows little evidence of being of reducing your chances of getting breast cancer again, because breast cancer can come back anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, however, mm-hmm. this is a very personal decision. And I remember being kind of pissed about that. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to be told. Mm. I wanted someone to tell me, you need a mastectomy. You need to have it on both sides, or you just need to have it on one side. And that's what we need to do. Oh, I made that decision like without batting an eye. You that, to take both. Yes. That was my first decision too. Mm-hmm. And then I changed my mind because I had time. <laughs> right. But I absolutely was like, get him out of here. Absolutely not. I'm not doing this again. Mm-hmm. But I don't know over time. I can't say exactly why that changed. Except that. I don't know. It's not, I'm not unswayed by science. Like I rely on science for a lot and I base, we base everything we do at the hospital on evidence. Right. But when it comes to you as a person and as an individual in your body. Yeah. Sometimes science doesn't help. Yeah. Well, you have to make the decision that's right for you. Yeah. And the very, I think unscientific way that I went about it was I thought, well, first of all, this boob did nothing to me mm-hmm. and I do not want to just go in. Surgeons are averse to cutting out healthy tissue. They don't like it. They'll do it, but they don't like it. Um, 
But, you know, I, my thought wasn't really for my surgeon at that point. It was for me. And I thought, you know what? If I get breast cancer again, I can't, I don't, can't think of another area of my body that I would prefer over just having it in my breast again. And so it's like I left this one like a little red herring. <laughs> like if, if this is going to come back, please come back here. To be clear, mm-hmm. there is absolutely zero, zero scientific evidence to support that idea that if you leave breast tissue, it'll come back in your breast instead of your spine or your right. brain or your gut or your bones. Right. Yeah, there's no. So mm. I'm doing the same exact thing <laughs> that women. Exactly. Decision making. Exactly. I'm but doing the fine. same exact thing as someone who's like, no, you take this other one because. But I feel as confident in that decision as you felt more than likely in saying, take them both. Mm -hmm. So I think that's it. You just don't make an irrational decision Mm -mm. and neither of those decisions are irrational. Right. So I think also um, there are going to be people that when you tell them that you're, you have breast cancer and you're going to have a mastectomy and they say, Oh, you get to have new boobs. Try your hardest not to rip them a new one. Um, it's not a consolation prize. And uh, I think that, you know, I guess that's some people's way of like making it quote unquote better. I don't know. Like that's a cool thing. It's not. They're um, trying to silver lining you. Right. Don't let them. It's And, you know, just if people have a really hard time with dealing with people who they love or care about that have cancer, mm-hmm. any kind of cancer. So I think they're just, they, they're trying to cope and they're just saying the wrong thing. So if you don't have cancer and you just are listening to this because you know somebody that has <laughs> cancer or is going to go through it, please don't say that. Please don't. Don't say that. It doesn't help. No. And even if they get there someday where they're like, I'm going to get a fresh pair of titties because that is about where I am now. Mm -hmm. Um, That prospect is still terrifying. Right. And I absolutely 100% would take my old titties back. 100% here too. 100%. Yes. Because... Reconstruction after breast cancer is not breast implants. No. It, it It's not aesthetically, physiologically, mentally. It is not the same damn thing. No, and breast cancer patients are having a mastectomy slash reconstruction by default. It's not, it's not a... I want to have a new set of boobs and I'm going to go get plastic surgery because I want to do that, which is perfectly fine for those people who want to do that. Um, Those people who have breast cancer who are forced to make a decision like this is not, um, it's not the same. It's not the same. In a sea of shitty decisions that you have to make, (laughs) what I want my boobs to look like going forward is maybe one of the least shitty things that I have to think about, Mm -hmm. but it is still on that shit spectrum. Absolutely. So do not mistake. Right. I still hate it. Yeah. But 
All right, that's choosing your general surgeon. Choosing your plastic surgeon should go about the same way. Absolutely. Look up those hospitals. Mm -hmm. Find out who your general surgeon recommends. Mm Because if you trust your oncologist to recommend a general surgeon, and then you can trust your general surgeon because they're in the OR with that plastic surgeon. Absolutely. They see how they operate. Exactly. And then when you go for that initial visit with your plastic surgeon, which should be before your mastectomy, and they're going to talk about reconstruction, and they're going to talk about what the mastectomy is going to look like, what scars you can expect. And also this is a really important time to discuss whether or not you can have a nipple sparing mastectomy. Right. If you don't ask, I don't know for sure that it will be considered, but basically I I don't know the percentage of women who can have nipple sparing. I think it's low, Mm -hmm. but it's always worth asking. Yeah. And if my tumor hadn't shrunk the way that it did, which was it shrunk away from the like the outer breast wall, I guess. It shrunk away from my nipple because um, it was right kind of against it. And I was able to have that. But they had to, when they went in to do the mastectomy, they had to biopsy the back of my nipple yeah. and send it to, like inside they yeah. took a sample and they sent it to the lab during surgery. They told me and that had they it could tested. do that for me too. But they said we could try, but, um, my cancer was way too, way too involved. Okay. So that was not, they talked about it, but that was not a choice. It wasn't an option for you. No, no. And there was just way more risk with keeping them than there was with just not. And that's the thing you've got to talk about Mm -hmm. you know with your surgeon what are the risks for because breast cancer is not breast cancer it's there are all different kinds Mm -hmm. we know about the different like classifications triple negative triple positive and any other combination of Mm -hmm. the three markers genetic versus not genetic a single tumor versus multiple areas of cancer so this is a very personal conversation you have with your physician mm-hmm. and then you make the best decision that you can for you. Right. But your plastic surgeon will be in there with the general surgeon. Mm-hmm. The general surgeon will make the incision mm-hmm. and then they will remove the breast tissue with the plastic surgeon. The plastic surgeon is going to put the tissue expander in. Right. And then sew you back up. Right. But before we get there, mm-hmm. <laughs> you have to go through the pre-op anxiety yeah which for me was profound Mm -hmm. because I got through all my chemo and the day that chemo ended my expectations were my hair will grow back right away which (laughs) does not happen no and my thoughts immediately like turned toward my surgery Mm -hmm. and I began getting very very anxious about it I had a very quick turnaround I was diagnosed on February 3rd and I had my mastectomy March 8th whoa mm-hmm. wow mm-hmm. that's amazing it was pretty quick whoa so yeah my plastic okay. surgeon said that he made it a priority to move his reconstruction or um, breast cancer patients to the front of his uh, list for surgeries. So he mm-hmm. would, which I thought was really cool. He would 
push back a elective procedure that he was doing for plastic surgery to get a breast cancer patient in to mm-hmm. have their surgery sooner, which exactly. I thought was cool. I think that's great. And being at the point of now being scheduled for my reconstruction, mm-hmm. they were very clear that I could get bumped if something, and I was like, absolutely, you should bump me. Right. Absolutely. Because I was that person and I appreciate everyone who got bumped yeah. so that I could get a mastectomy in a timely manner. Right. I do. But if you are losing sleep because you're fixating on this operation and like, for me, I fixated on weird things. It wasn't being cut, sliced open and having my breast removed and, and all of that stuff. It was that they were going to put a urinary catheter in me. Oh, my. And I tried to convince them not to, but they were like, not putting a urinary catheter in isn't really an option for a six to eight hour surgery. Right. Because they will put you under general anesthetic, which I also was, it would be the, my first time being intubated. Mm-hmm. So having a breathing tube. Okay. So just in case no one, just in case you have never had surgery before. Right. I will tell you what I know mm-hmm. from what I've experienced and then both what I've seen when I've been in the OR. I've never been in a breast-related surgery in the OR. I've been in a bowel surgery and a carotid dissection surgery um, and things of this nature. They take you to pre-op and they're going to start an IV, some very kind nurse is going to walk you through it. They're going to have you wipe down. So they're going to give you these, did they give you the CHG wipes? Yes. Okay. You have to wipe down your whole body with these CHG wipes and they create a, a barrier on your skin so that basically germs can't move around on your skin. It's bacteriostatic, I think is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'll start an IV mm-hmm. and they'll start some fluids. And after your surgeon comes in and makes marks on your breasts, which my surgeon came in and started marking both breasts. <laughs> and I was like, but we're just doing this one, right? <laughs> and mm-hmm. she was like, oh, right. Okay, yeah. Which <gasps> exactly. Oh, my gosh. But. I got marked up the night before. The night before? Yeah. Where, were, were you in the hospital already? No. Uh-uh. I went to my plastic surgeon's office the night before. Yeah. he Very interesting. He went, he said, um, after hours, and he said, meet me here, because huh. I was going after work. And I went, and I got all my markings done the night before. Okay. Very interesting. So what, they didn't wash off in the morning when you did your, your dial soap shower? Mm-mm. Huh. They're gonna give you. They're gonna tell you get dial soap, and you have to take a dial soap shower the night before and the morning of. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay, so maybe you get marked up the night before. Mm-hmm. Just important to note: even great surgeons are gonna walk in. They have got a whole day ahead of them. They've had a whole day ahead of them the day before, and you are going to verbalize to them what they are about to do to you. Yes. You're going to say, we're doing a mastectomy on Mm -hmm. my right breast. The incision will be on the bra line underneath because if you have small breasts, there's a possibility that instead of the traditional horizontal or vertical incision that they do, some, some of the mastectomy incisions are... From the armpit to the nipple, Mm -hmm. basically in a horizontal line, or from the base of the breast up to the nipple line Mm -hmm. in a uh, vertical line. Mine are diagonal. Yours are diagonal. Mm -hmm. 
some surgeons do, oh, like that. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. That's a newer thing they're doing. And that's supposed to be a really good, um, like aesthetically helpful in reconstruction Yes, because I'd never had children and my breasts were, uh, itty bitty titties. They could, my surgeon did an incision that is like where the underwire of a bra goes. Gotcha. So it's just underneath. So when I look down at my breasts or even when I look forward at my breasts now, um, this one with the tissue expander, you can't see the scar. That's awesome. It's awesome. Mm -hmm. And it's not an option for everybody. No. And the, your surgeon will explain to you why if it's Mm -hmm. not an option, but you should definitely ask Yes. if that kind of incision is an option for you. Right. You do also need to know, about if you're having a wound vac yes or if you're having drains I had four I had I had a wound vac which for the uninitiated it is a good sign if your surgeon is using a wound vac Mm -hmm. mine was a Provena which is just a brand name of a wound vac it's basically a, an incision. It'll be an incisional vac. There are different kinds of wound vacs. The, mm-hmm. A lot of the ones we use in the hospital are for open wounds. This one, it will be an incisional vac, which means they will um, suture the inside of mm-hmm. the incision with dissolvable sutures. And then they usually use a skin glue yep. on the outside. And then they will put, it's basically a long sponge that is applied and with like a clear uh saran wrap over it yeah. basically which Tape-ish. yeah which is why can i never remember what that is i use it all the time and i cannot remember um what it is called tagaderm it's tagaderm 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 it'll mm-hmm. be tagadermed on the incision do i remember that i don't know why i can't remember <laughs> this tag-a-derm. is like eight years man and i can't remember it um it has And then a a tube basically runs from that sponge Mm -hmm. that will um, go to this little like, it's the size of like an old Walkman cassette (laughs) uh, player, basically, is how I guess I would describe that. And then I had two bulb drains. Yeah. So two on each side. I didn't have a wound vac. You didn't have a wound vac? Nope. You didn't need one? I had. Well, you know why I think that might be? You had yours before chemo. Yes. After chemo, because when I went into surgery, my mm-hmm. white count, I mean, my ANC was 0.8, which basically means you're going to get an infection. Right. Almost guaranteed. Oh. But I didn't because I was put on a month of antibiotics. Yeah. From day, from post-op day one. Mm-hmm. And we did a wound vac. And partly the wound vac, the way it was described to me was, it just kind of pulls out any... It keeps a constant, not suction, but almost like a negative pressure on the incision. So what that does is it makes a prettier scar. Yeah. And it also pulls out anything that could just sit there. Mm Because that's kind of where bacteria will breed. Right. Um, In dark places that are a little bit moist, Mm -hmm. which is one of my least favorite words (laughs) in the whole world. And it's just bacteria will proliferate. Right. And it'll pull that out. Also, when they remove all that breast tissue, they're diverting all of that blood flow. Right. And that has to stop and it has to go somewhere. Right. And so the wound vac also helps with that. And then the bulb drains are, are, or JP drains is Mm -hmm. also what they're referred to. And they're going to collect bloody, also kind of serous, 
bloody and yellowy yes looking kind of liquid liquid out of your body mm-hmm. which would otherwise just be in your body right which is not good no and then you're going to manage those drains yeah you are going to empty them into these clear plastic measuring cups yeah that you will empty in the toilet please not down the sink mm-hmm. <laughs> and you will be measuring them and recording them. Mm-hmm. their output and that output will be what determines when they come out. Yeah. Usually, at least this was true for me, the wound vac and one bulb drain came out about a week after surgery. Mm-hmm. And then the second bulb drain came out two weeks after surgery. And it was at that point that I could shower. Yeah, mine were all different phases. Oh. Um, but just so you understand what a drain is. or mm-hmm. um, So inside sort of um there's for me there was one sort of under the armpit that also went into the breast area and then there was another one really on the front of the breast that was really coiled around the chest area yeah um or or pec kind of area so it was coiled up there too and uh, both of those it, it's kind of um you know, the bulb that is attached to those, you squeeze it so that it is pulling yeah, the liquid out of the drain. And those were really pretty. So also <laughs> to try and understand, because, you know, I mean, they tell you, oh, you have to have drains. And you're kind of like, oh, wait, what? Okay. So the drain comes out, Um, I would say maybe like, Six inches under your armpit. It's ba- it's tunneled mm-hmm. underneath your your skin, right? And, and it, there's a little hole. Yeah, that there's they make. there's multiple. Yeah, it exits your body out of mm-hmm. just this hole. Mm-hmm. But the tube itself, the part that's inside of you, has all of these little holes. Right. And when you create negative pressure in the bulb, mm-hmm. it's just pulling very gently, pulling. Yes, does not hurt. No, you can't feel this thing on the inside. No, you can't. And part of that is just you're losing sensation mm-hmm. in that mastectomy area. Mm-hmm. Anyway, part of it is if you have a good plastic surgeon and you should ask about this they're going to put nerve blocks Mm -hmm. all along that side or both sides depending on what surgery you have to numb you up for a number of days um but you can't really i think sometimes i imagined there was pain at the insertion site of the jp drain but i think it was just discomfort maybe just discomfort and the idea of something being inside of me which (laughs) really grossed out my husband mine too yeah and my kids oh your kids were grossed out too like mommy what is that (laughs) I was like oh my gosh I'm not really ready to explain Mm -hmm, what all this is yeah so luckily the drains come out they do come out and Mm -hmm. they're brilliant Mm -hmm. before JP drains all of that fluid and blood would just collect under your skin and yeah. and then your body would have to reabsorb it. And a lot of times you would get infected. Right. So all that stuff needs to come out. Mm-hmm. And you're going to be taught how to strip yes. the drains. Yes. And this is the part that a lot of people have a difficult time with because mm-hmm. it is gross. Mm-hmm. Now, I... <laughs> I've been stripping drains for a number of years and I find it grossly satisfying, (laughs) 
when I do it on other people. Okay. When I had to do it on my own drain, which you won't be able to do it on your own drains for... Not at first. Not at first. Um, it also grossed me out. Mm-hmm. So I get it now. Mm-hmm. But they're basically going to teach you to hold the drain with one hand tight against right at the insertion site mm-hmm. and hold it steady. And with the other hand, you're going to take your forefinger and your thumb and you're going to pinch the tubing, which is if it's a flexible tubing. Yeah. It's like a straw. It's like, it's like a straw. Mm-hmm. It's even the size of like a straw, yeah. a real good, like robust, thick plastic mm-hmm. straw. Right. Um, and you're going to pull all the way down mm-hmm. to that drain and you're going to see little clots of blood Yeah, all and, kinds and of you're going to see like extra stuff come out. And it, it is one of the creepier things yeah about this it's important though to get all that fluid out and it's so good that like you said that they have that and it's short-lived it Mm -hmm. is annoying when you have it but luckily it is short-lived I and you don't realize how awful it is until those things come out yeah and when you're drain free you're like oh I felt like a new woman <laughs> when that last drain came out. Because think about it. You, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up to like go to the restroom or something, you've got all these drains and they yeah. can't just hang there. No, They have to be Supported. pocketed somewhere. Mm-hmm. I did buy a robe. So there are robes you can buy that have drain pockets on the inside. Or if you have a friend or family member who is good with a sewing machine Take a robe, just go to Walmart, get a cheap ass robe, and ask them to sew pockets on the inside. I had a scarf that I wore around my neck that had pockets in the ends of the scarf. That's sort of like, you know, one of those scarves that you could also put your gloves in. Yes. So, and I just stuck my drains in the ends of the scarf. That's brilliant. And it was really great because it kept them up. You know, so they weren't in the way. And I wasn't having to wear... Now, they also make mastectomy bras with drains, like uh, drain pockets in it. They do. I will say, though, that I did not wear a bra post-mastectomy. I Yeah, I, I, I got one, but it was too big. Well, and also, my tissue expander was flat. Mm. Um. Which tissue expanders are another thing. Yeah. I had a great experience with my tissue expander. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was flat when I came out of surgery because okay. they said my skin was too thin mm-hmm. and they were just. And I had mine filled it. partially. When you came out of surgery? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The tissue expander caused me also a lot of anxiety. Mm. Even when they. I knew they were going to expand it, and I had heard that it would be very painful. Really? Well, I look, look, be careful with the YouTube people, because I looked up a oh, video no. on it. Uh-oh. Don't do that. And it was a very scientific, like, video, but, I mean, all it shows is someone jamming a needle into this, like, <laughs> inflatable boob and then pumping it up, and I was like... Oh my God, no. I don't know why that affected me so much, but it did. Don't watch that. Yeah. Don't watch that. Uh, Yeah. So the tissue expander has a device in it. That's where 
the needle is inserted into the tissue expander and they fill it with, uh, what is it that they fill it with? Well, for mine, they first just filled it with air. Oh. So for the first two expansions, they only filled it with air because they didn't want any weight on my skin. Okay. And then, and this will be like, within the first couple weeks post-op, usually you get it filled with air. Mm -hmm. Then... After the second time they filled it with air, I went back the next time and they sucked all the air out, Mm -hmm. which is a weird feeling. Totally. It feels like a vacuum on your chest. It's so strange. And then they fill it with saline. Yeah, that's right. So sterile saline. I had, so mine was filled with saline. Just liquid. Looks like From the beginning. Really? Mm -hmm. I didn't have any air in it. Um, I was post mastectomy in recovery and they had filled it a little. Okay. With saline. That tissue expander, I would describe it as a boob-like structure. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. mine looked very similar to a breast. I think helped by the fact that I was able to keep my nipple. Uh-huh. So it gives you like a focal point. Mine, um, my physician, well, my plastic surgeon was the one that told me that I was probably one of the luckier ones that my tissue expanders didn't look super wonky. Like my breast's shape was... Okay pretty breast looking I see um when even with the expansion um and even post mastectomy that's not the case for everyone sometimes the tissue expander on one side looks higher than the other this Mm. is not what your breasts are gonna look like forever by the way this is not a tissue expander is not a stand-in for an implant. No. Mm-mm. Totally different. No. I'm hoping anyway. God, no, no, I don't no. want this. I think I've described it as like my Miami Vice boob. Because <laughs> it is like round and at attention all the time. It is just like, yeah. I, oh God. But it, there's so many different kinds of implants that you can get yeah. post-mastectomy. It doesn't have to look like that. Like there's so many new things out there that, I mean, they can make it look a lot more like your breasts. It's not going to be the same, but they can get pretty close. It can get pretty close. Yeah. And this is going to be key to choosing your plastic surgeon. Mm -hmm. When I am in the exam room at my plastic surgeon, when I met her for the first time, there's a tv screen in every exam room and it cycles through before and after pictures you can't see people's faces faces, obviously but just before and act after pictures of breasts so recon she had some elective stuff cycle through and then she had some reconstructive stuff uh, cycle through and it was implant only it was um deep procedure because if you get radiation you there's not an option for you to just have an implant right do not let anyone put an a straight up implant in under your radiated skin. Yeah. Don't let them do that. Yeah. That's not a good idea. If they're recommending that, that should be a red flag for you and you should get a second opinion mm-hmm. because unfortunately, and I say unfortunately because it's a much bigger surgery, but you have to have your own fat and skin and vessels um, removed from one part of your body, usually your stomach or the backs of your thighs mm-hmm. and placed inside of that breast pillow case, basically. I think it's also really important to know that if you're going to have radiation, that that has to happen before your reconstruction. 
Yes. Has to Well happen. before. <clears throat> you will not, I mean, we're talking three to six months after you've healed from radiation is the right. first opportunity that you will have to have reconstruction. So Jocelyn, you had a um, partial mastectomy, one breast. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like full mastectomy, right. but just on one side. Right. Unilateral. Unilateral. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just on the affected breast. Right. I and chose to leave the other one. And you're so lucky you got to keep your nipple. I'm so jealous. I'm incredibly lucky. Mm-hmm. I'm in. And also there's this thing, even if you get to keep your nipple after your mastectomy, there's this thing that my plastic uh, surgeon's PA calls nipple drama. Oh. And so your nipple can still f- like die and fall off after mastectomy. Yeah. And so it can become necrotic and mm-hmm. then it falls off and they'll explain that to you if nipple sparing is an option. Then you get radiated mm-hmm. and that skin, depending on just how, uh, I don't know, flayed it gets, that skin starts coming off and it will travel all the way down to your nipple. And it kind of changed the color of my nipple. Mm-hmm. They're not the same color, mm-hmm. which is a very... Um, privileged thing to complain about right (laughs) but um so there you you will have a nipple anxiety and then it'll it's still there and it it's okay like it'll be fine but it's like a whole you have to just manage your expectations with even if you do get to have a nipple sparing It, it doesn't necessarily mean that you will be able to keep it Right. Forever. Mm-hmm. Although I think we're out of the woods with mine. Yeah. Even though I'm having a deep procedure and that's a, that's a, that's a flap, which means that the skin and fat and vasculature that they move from one part of my body into my breast could, once it's moved, die and Ew. not, not take. And that is a complication of the surgery. So, yeah. But that is rare. Um, it's very rare for my surgeon, um, but it can happen. Anyway, this is why I've been hoarding three pills of Xanax since they gave it to me for my mastectomy. By the way, if you're losing sleep because you are just fixating on this surgery for whatever reason, you call your plastic surgeon's office, and I mean the mastectomy. You call either your general surgeon or your plastic surgeon, whoever you think is going to be the most generous with the benzos. And you say, look, I'm not sleeping. And all I can think about is this surgery. Mm-hmm. I just need something to get me through. And I got five. They call, they're call. only going to call you in like a few pills if they're a good doctor because mm-hmm. um, they're not looking to create a dependency issue. But which I was so worried about because I'd never had Xanax before. And I'm like, I'm going to get addicted to Xanax because it's good stuff. I've never had it. Oh, it's lovely. (laughs) You take one of those pills and I thought like I'll feel high or I'll feel weird, but no, you feel exactly like yourself on your best goddamn day (laughs) on a day where you just feel like I'm untouchable. Everything is going my way. Everything's going to be fine. That's how you feel. That's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> However, <laughs> right. You know, only use as needed. Use as needed and I, I was very concerned. Like I just was concerned about I was anxious about everything. But the minute they called that Xanax in, I didn't even fill it for until the day before my surgery because mm-hmm. I felt so relieved by the fact that I just had it. 
But also as an aside, if you look at the statistical information for people who are exposed to benzos or opiates and then develop a dependency, the single most determinant factor is whether or not they were called in a refill. So if you get Xanax, make sure there are, I guess, and if you're anxious about it, if there are zero refills and you don't refill it, your chances of developing a dependency for whatever reason go down dramatically. Hmm. So just something to be aware of. Interesting. So I was given five pills. I used two of them for my mastectomy and I've held on to those other three until I need them for this procedure. There you go. And I will, and I, and talk to your anesthesiologist about this. You'll have a visit before your mastectomy. Mm-hmm. They're going to talk to you about general anesthesia. Mm-hmm. They're going to talk to you about what the meds that they're going to give you. If you get motion sick mm-hmm. or you know you throw up after anesthesia, make yeah. sure you make that really clear because yeah. I, I did throw up when I woke up oh. from my mastectomy and that shit hurts yeah no I think most surgeons are really really wary about that because they just don't want you to go through that yeah which is also I I totally agree and you you definitely want to talk um in depth with your anesthesiologist it's going to be mostly on the day of surgery but I think it's really important just to have that conversation and if you have questions or if you you know you want somebody to be witnessing this conversation with you that's really important and your surgery maybe was different because you had it right away. Mm-hmm. But if it's a planned surgery, you should have a meeting with your anesthesia team. It'll mm-hmm. probably be the nurse anesthetist or mm-hmm. an RN with the group mm-hmm. like two days before your surgery. Right. And you're going to tell them, hey, I've got Xanax and I'm going to take one milligram the night before and one milligram the morning of. Are you okay with that? Or Valium or whatever you've got. Also, if Xanax and Valium are just part of your life, and part of how you manage your care day to day, no shade. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I just, I was at a low point in my life and I was so afraid that if I got a hold of something that made me feel much better, right? I would not want to give it up. Gotcha. So that was something that was going through my mind and it was very particular to me. So, because... Again, <laughs> that felt really, really nice right. <laughs> to have gone the last eight months constantly worried about one thing or the other, mm-hmm. and then just to have a nice 24-hour period where it didn't feel like that anymore. Wow. So, I don't That's know. some serious stuff, man. Mm-hmm. Better living through chemicals. That's all yeah. I can say. Anyway, tissue expanders are a thing. Yeah. They've got a magnet in them. Yep. It's so cool. Yes. So you can like, you'll go through airport security. They're not even going to bat an eye. I thought they would think my tissue expander was like an anomaly and they'd have to wand me. But I flew, I've flown because I've had this thing for like a year now. I've flown several times and like, they don't even care. I was like, all right, I'm not special. That's cool. But there's like a magnet in it. And when your plastic surgeon goes to fill you, Mm -hmm. they like wave this wand in Mm -hmm. front of it and then they find that port Yeah, and then they'll stick a needle in there, Mm -hmm. which I couldn't feel the first time. So the first like round of inflations that I had, but I just got inflated again uh, this past week in Mm -hmm. anticipation of my surgery. And I could kind of feel that needle. Yeah. And that's a, they said that's a good thing. Yeah. Because, Maybe a little bit of sensation is coming back, but I didn't know I was going to be completely numb in my breast. 
Right. But I can't feel a damn thing in this boob. Yeah. So that's another thing to be aware of. Mm-mm. Yeah. No feeling. And how long have you, how long has it been since you had your, my reconstruction or even your mastectomy? Like mastectomy. when you lost my, feeling? oh, from the mastectomy. Mm-hmm. That was March 8th of 2017. Okay. So it's been years and you haven't regained any feeling. No. Mm-mm. So I think we can call it at this point. <laughs> yeah. Okay. It's fine. It's fine. I mean, it's a thing. Mm. It's a thing. And your bre- you just have a different relationship with your breasts, which you've gone through before after having kids. And this is what my friends who have had kids mm-hmm. and have, especially if they've breastfed, mm-hmm. have told me is your relationship with your breasts just changes. Yeah. They serve a much different purpose. Mm-hmm. But, you know, when that's over... And it changes again. <laughs> <laughs> oh, joy. Mm-hmm. Okay. Surgery day. Mm-hmm. Everyone is going to want to come to the hospital for your surgery. <laughs> like, I have a big family baseline, mm-hmm. but then, like, my friends all being medical people, they wanted to come too. Just be mindful that if you're bringing a significant other, if you have an intimate partner or a very devoted roommate or however your life is structured someone that lives with you to take care of you they are going to come you need to bring someone who is just slightly less invested in you to take care of that person oh for the day yeah because that person who's your primary caregiver and who loves you more than anyone else in the world is going to be generally worthless on that day because it's a long day it's a long ass surgery mm-hmm. and for us it's like a split second mm-hmm. and for your caregiver it is a full day of just worrying about whether or not you're gonna die in there yeah uh yeah i mean i'm sure that maybe that's probably- just my husband <laughs> yeah i don't think that <laughs> i don't think that my family thought i was gonna die but they just you know they kept thinking well we thought it was gonna be over and then you know, it's still longer and it was yeah. over eight hours and it's just long. really long surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that that was m- most wearing on them, but it's good to like know what kind of places are around the hospital and mm-hmm. you know, maybe go get something to eat and come back. Like they don't have to sit in the surgery waiting area for no. like nine hours. Don't, yeah. don't do it. Yeah. And so my husband came, my best friend came, my mom came, and her husband came, and my brother came. <laughs> because my brother, I, I went to his, he had testicular cancer, and mm-hmm. I went to his, um, God, what is, what is it an orchiectomy that you have? I don't, I don't remember. I went to his ball removal. Okay. So he came to my breast removal. <laughs> and really... Breasts are just the balls of your chest, yeah. essentially, right? Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> I don't know. They can bear <laughs> somehow. <laughs> anyway, he wanted to be there, but but not everybody can come back into that holding area. No. I mean, that's a lot of people. Yeah. And you think about the providers that are trying to do their job. Yeah. And not just for you, but the other patients that are there. So just be aware that they may have to come back one at a time, mm-hmm. and, and they will be limited in that way, and it is for 
It is for infection control. It is so that your caregivers can focus on you. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were very generous with yeah. how many people I got to bring back. Yeah, but me too. You can have like your top people. Yes. But if you bring 18 friends, yeah, there's going to be limited space in that waiting room yeah. and they're not going to let them all come back at once. No. And tell your loved ones and your caregiver, your primary person that mm-hmm. you're going to need with you yeah. 24 hours a day for at least the first week after yeah. surgery. You got to have that? I sure did. You lucky. You did not? No, girl. Like, I'm, what? I'm a mom with kids and a crazy life. At that point, my mom was still working. I... I my husband couldn't take time off of work. To Are just... you kidding? No. God, I need to check my privilege at the door. <laughs> I mean, I had people checking on me. Okay. You were alone? I had my little brother. Um, and he did have... Yeah, there was, time, there was some time there that I was not with someone. I would say try and and, and like set up a shift yeah calendar i did that i I had a care calendar that i would post things on it that was hard for me to do it's awful but i highly highly encourage um you know especially if you have a family and you have to plan ahead and things like that like you i really highly encourage just like get off your soapbox get a care calendar post things on there like i need a ride to the doctor or um, I need dinner for my family. Did like, you use an app or how did you yeah. let people know? Yeah, yeah. Um, it, I used an app. I uh, can't remember. There's plenty of different things are, that are um, like care type calendars that you can use. And okay. and I would get just everybody's email address. And I, I said, you can sign up to be a part of my group or I'll send you the link. And I mean, I literally had to just ask for help from moms in my neighborhood and things like that, just because I didn't have somebody all the time that could care for me and my kids. So (laughs) yeah, I mean, I, I had to do what I had to do and wow, I would be a mess. It was, I was a mess. I mean, it was necessary. I mean, I still had to function as a parent and, and go through, um, you know, all that that went with the mastectomy and also the news after the mastectomy that I needed chemo and that instead of, you know, DCIS, like we thought that I had four tumors that we didn't see, which was scary, but also validated my decision with the surgery. And, you know, I felt so much better about like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that I had all this and I'm glad I know now. And now I can really move to take care of myself. And I think that that we all need to put that as a number one, like really, really make the, a point to say, okay, it's time to take care of me. I know a lot of women, especially those of us that are caregivers for others, whether it be your parents or your children or your, Mm. your, your brother's kids or whoever, you have to like take a step back and you have to say, okay, it's my turn. I'm going to need some help. Don't be so proud to, to not ask for it. I think that that's a big mistake and it's completely fine to be like, okay, I can't lift my arms for, you know, several weeks and I can't carry anything over 10 pounds. And I highly recommend not even 10 pounds, like just no. keep your arms down and, and really just 
Listen. You're supposed to keep your arms pinned to your side yeah. for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Like pinned to your side. Yeah. Like I could Don't drive. Don't drive. No. Oh my God. <laughs> Driving for the first time. I don't think I realized how much of my chest I use when I drive. Even driving like four weeks after surgery, I had to just turn with my my good arm, the mm-hmm. unaffected side. Mm, lucky. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Really listen to your doctor. Listen to your body. These are all really, I know it sounds like, oh, of course, but no, like this is something that you really have to put things aside and just go, I have to allow people to help me. And it makes other people feel good to know because they care and love you. It's good for them to want to, they want to help you too. Yeah. And find, this, find that friend yeah. who is always like advocating for you in your life mm-hmm. and is always like, that's not okay. And like, no, you deserve better. Like find that person and hopefully you have a, that person and tell them what you need and just say, can you, I need food from this date to this date. Mm-hmm. I need like a casserole every other day. Well, thank God for like Uber Eats and all that mm-hmm. right now. There's because... that too, but let your friend set things up for mm-hmm. you. Let them circle the wagons. Let them start the group text and manage that yeah. and, and make things happen. That didn't exist when I had my mastectomy. What, group chat? Uber Eats and oh, things Uber like that. Eats. You know, like having your groceries delivered. Curbside or grocery yeah. delivery, Instacart. Thank God for those things yeah. now. I mean, that really makes those yeah. of us who go through things like this, like so helpful. Put those apps on your phone. Put those apps on your phone. Also, if you have a husband who does cook and do the grocery shopping for you. Which just is as, so rare, by the way. Not because you got cancer, just because it's part of your life. <laughs> And that is what I needed. I knew I couldn't feed myself for the rest of my life. I didn't want to do that. So privileged. Anyway, I am very privileged. Um, They're going to be a great caregiver for you. But please understand that uh, you're going to find out things about your marriage or your intimate partner in this uh, setup because you're going to be cranky and in pain and post-op. And they're going to be, if you're lucky, just there all the damn time time I didn't have a moment of alone time for like 10 days straight more than that even two weeks I think and I am going to complain about this because I I thought you know I could probably get away with murder because like I'm a very sympathetic character I don't think they would send me to prison if I just killed this person but also then how would I eat the things that go through your mind. I definitely did not just, have that problem. You didn't have that <laughs> no, problem? No. Okay. I mean, that my husband is still alive is really just a testament to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, <laughs> you know? Anyway, don't kill your caregiver and just prepare to be super annoyed with that person because... I didn't want to have to be the person who was like, okay, it's time to empty my drains. Okay, it's time to take my medication. I need the bathroom cleaned. I need to eat. I'm hungry. Like I wanted someone to put me on a schedule. I wanted I wanted me to take care of me essentially, but I didn't want to have to do it. So if you're like that and your entitlement knows no bounds, maybe set this up beforehand. <laughs> God, I can't even believe any of this. I know. I'm sorry, but this is me. So it's all good. It's all good. I 
and you deserve this too and everybody does deserve this <laughs> they deserve to have someone waiting on them hand and foot after this kind of a surgery because it's ridiculous and it it's painful it and you can't move and every movement hurts and you don't pee right for days oh. i didn't pee right for days did you have a urinary catheter oh yeah okay when they took that thing out could you just pee like a normal human mm. no i had all kinds of fun issues yeah it's okay it's just part of it sure but i didn't know that <laughs> i i had never had a urinary catheter in ever well i had a um, hysterectomy like just months okay. before so you are familiar with this phenomenon of peeing like you've got a prostate problem right i mean yeah. i mean that's women pretty accurate don't i mean have prostates but no we don't but it, it's it's difficult and sometimes painful to pee. Yeah. Definitely painful. Mm -hmm. And it, the sensation is so raw that you'll start to pee and mm -hmm. then it'll immediately seize up was the problem for me. Oh. And this lasted from my surgery, which was on a fry Thursday until the following Monday is when it finally started to resolve. Wow. So I can give you one trick if you're not able to urinate because they won't let you leave that hospital till you urinate. And that's all I wanted to do. My stomach started getting distended as hell. So when you're on the toilet and you're trying to relax your urethra, which is, you know, the opening through which you void your urine into the toilet or into a hat because they're going to measure that stuff. And don't think you can get your husband to pee into it for you and, and like trick them into thinking you, you peed because they'll figure that out real quick. Um, you want a cup half full of water with a straw. And you're going to sit on the toilet and you're going to blow bubbles in the water through the straw. Oh, I've heard of this. Yes. Yeah. And that was the only thing that worked for me. Now, it took minutes for me to void all that urine out. And I had to use that trick for days. But eventually, you will pee like a normal person Yay. again. And your constipation will resolve. I got so constipated, I looked pregnant. Oh, no. Which for this next surgery, considering I'm going to have a huge abdominal incision, it's making me very anxious so just and this I had come from shitting my brains out I didn't think constipation was going to be an issue but opioids and combined with anesthesia because anesthesia doesn't just put your mind to sleep it puts your whole body right. to sleep and all of your organs yeah your guts. not all your organs your heart doesn't fall asleep or your, no. you know but your lungs sure do that's why they have to put a breathing tube down you so your bladder and your gut are one of the last things to kind of wake up and that's part of the issue with peeing and, it, and it's definitely the issue with pooping so you're going to be on Miralax at the very least and then some kind of Colace or Senecott or some kind of stool softener and maybe a little bit of a, uh, a stimulant too for your bowel to go. And you may go a few days without pooping and then when you poop, it's going to be like six times in a 12-hour period. Or it was for me anyway. Yeah. And I was like, oh my God, I didn't know I had so much shit in me. And it was pretty solid, which I hadn't had in a long time. So I should have been happy about that. But... Anyway, it was prepare for the PTSD of that mm -hmm. because it's still a little hashtag too soon. Right. You know, for diarrhea. But anyway, yeah, pain, constipation, peeing like a 90-year-old man with a enlarged prostate. These are the things. The joys. But you should be able to eat. Yeah. I mean, especially once the constipation has resolved, mm -hmm. the one consolation you will have is eating. Mm -hmm. So for this next surgery, I have two boxes of Thin Mints 
and one box of peanut butter patties in my freezer. Boom. And they've been in my freezer for like a month now and they've got post-op written on them. And I'm saving those for like a treat for myself for when I am post-op. So have little things like that set up. Have a watch list because you you think like, oh, this is going to be a great time to get a bunch of reading done and a bunch of writing done. Your arms are pinned to your side. Yeah. You will not. Mm-mm. And you need to be distracted. Distraction therapy is part of your pain management. Yep. And keep your journal. That and, will also help you remember what pills you have taken and which ones you need. And Yes. Oh, gosh. Or what symptoms you're having. Because yes. you... When the doctor, you go visit them for your post-op, you're going to forget all of you're it. You're not so going to remember. Keep a journal. At all. You're not going to remember at all. So, yes. Keep and a journal or, or dictate to the person or just do voice memos. Yeah. Let Surrey take care of your memory for you. Yeah. Speak to text, like all that leverage mm-hmm. technology. I just found it like a whole, because I could type with my left hand because, again, I didn't have any anything on that left side. And so the the spelling is all off and terrible, but I found like the document that I was typing when I was like two weeks Mm post-op, which is when I was having all these homicidal thoughts about my husband, um, who was nothing but kind to me, do not mistake. But it was good because I had forgotten some of that stuff. I had forgotten how freaked out I was about the idea that I couldn't pee right and how I thought that was going to last forever. But I have a whole... I had a whole, look, this is a full page of to-dos that I had from my mastectomy. Wow. And I had I had a reading list. I had a watch list. I was going to finish knitting a baby blanket, which I very nearly did. I had Manny Petty on here. I said, build a fantasy wardrobe with shopping lists for 2019, because I had this done in, in uh, January. Um, take close to the tailors. Schedule the taxes to be done oh with the God. tax man. Uh, which I ended up doing myself. I just wanted to make sure that I was doing them right. Um, I got the oil changed in the car. I mailed a Christmas present that I had forgotten to mail for Christmas. I cleaned all of my shoes, like with special Jason Marks, like cleaning. And I treated all my leather bags. This girl has no kids. With leather moisturizer. <laughs> I have no children, no pets. <laughs> oh my it's God. basically just me. You're um, so lucky. Yeah. I cleaned that all my makeup brushes. all of these things. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But like, I make make a list of work values is another thing. Wow. You guys, your mind is going to unravel. If you get alone time, if you mm-hmm. get that real downtime, which you should demand, kids, pets aside, you should demand some alone time. I like This is your lot. time. You're going to sleep a lot. I didn't have to put that on the list. Go through all my photos in my phone and organize them. <laughs> And then go through my entire closet and makeup stash and create a donation box for that. So I ha- all those things are checked off, by the way, because I created check boxes for them. I didn't read all the books I wanted to read, but I'll, we'll get to those eventually. That's an amazing checklist. Isn't it fun? Yeah. And I love checking the boxes. That's my favorite. I do love checking boxes. Mm-hmm. I do. Sometimes after I've done a thing, I'll create a checklist item for it just so I can check it off. Yeah. Yeah, I you're absolutely like so lucky that you had you had goals and and you know a list of things that you could mm-hmm. keep yourself busy with. Mm-hmm. Um, that's very lucky. And I'm not saying that having kids and you know being a mom at that time is unlucky. It's just <laughs> different, very different. And mm. you can't do any of that. No, it's just still 
really trying to take care of yourself, take care of your kids, and just continue. Um, that would have been pretty cool if I could have done that, but that was not in the cards. No. All good. Everybody's experience is different, you know, and um, and even though at that point it seems like, oh, my God, this is forever, and I hate all of this, and this is terrible, and I'm miserable, I know we're looking at it from the other side and saying it's going to be over, and when it's over, you know, those will just be memories that you have, but, um, you know, your thoughts and your feelings are still very valid Mm -hmm. and, you know, you absolutely make sure you, like Jocelyn said, have someone to support you and get through it all. And luckily you will have this experience that maybe someday you can help another breast cancer patient understand what they're going to experience and how, how to help deal with it. Yeah. And I think that's really important. Yeah. And we'll probably continue our mastectomy discussion when we, kind of move into um the next phases like for jocelyn uh she did radiation and then also Mm -hmm. she's gonna have her reconstruction mine was a little bit different so i had my mastectomy and then my chemo but um you know we'll continue talking about it and we'll share our experiences so those of you who have questions and want to relate please feel free to comment and ask questions and we'll talk about it on our podcast Yeah. And we'll be taking a little break, which, you know, these episodes being posted are sporadic and usually dependent on how busy my life is and whether or not I have a big paper due (laughs) over the weekend. But I will be getting a deep procedure. So and I will be very carefully documenting all about that. So if that um, is in the cards for you or someone you care about, then that will be coming as well. Um, but that is essentially what we have about mastectomies. Mm-hmm. We'll have a little mini episode about post-mastectomy bras. Yeah. I have a full list mm-hmm. of great, like just because eventually you're going to get back to your life and you're yeah. going to want to wear normal clothes to your normal job or to your normal day-to-day, mm-hmm. whatever that entails. And so I've got a full list of that and we'll get that out to you as well. But... Everything's going to be fine. Pain is temporary. Constipation is temporary, hopefully. And you will pee like a normal person again. Yeah. If that becomes an issue. (laughs) That's it. Yeah. That's all. Jocelyn and Lauren, breast cancer is boring. So boring. Mm -hmm. We, on the other hand, are not. Very interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening. Good luck.